0: Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat, your hosts, Ollie, Dean, and Dr. Pete. We're solution architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. Hey everyone, and welcome back to AWS Tech Chat. It's episode twenty-four, and today we have an extra special special show because with me I have two of my co-hosts, Ollie and Dean. Guys, how are you both doing? Hey, Doctor Pete. Hey, Doctor Pete. Uh, good to be here. Ollie, good to uh, chat to you. This is awesome because normally we do, uh, you know, uh, two out of the three, but not all three at once. So uh, this is going to be interesting because we're coming together to you guys almost live. Well, it's pre-recorded, so uh, almost live from Taipei. Hong Kong and Melbourne—is not that awesome?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'm I'm based in here in uh, Taipei, and uh, uh, Ollie, where are you at the moment?
0: Currently in the Hong Kong,
1: and Dr. Pete, as always, from Melbourne, right?
0: Indeed, indeed. Now, Ollie, you
2: were saying something about something really interesting happening at Changi Airport. That's right. You know, Pete, I I keep flying a lot around, right, and I uh I start to see more and more of the uh, interesting artificial intelligence uh, models being deployed into the airport, so. Uh, Changi Airport, which is the, the airport in Singapore, uh, actually just opened up its Terminal 4, which is newest terminal, and they now have facial recognition all over the place. So you can actually check in or even automatically board the aircraft using your ticket and your face, using facial recognition. So a lot of AI uh, deployments being done. Very cool. So so what do you do? Is there a camera at the front of the plane or is it somewhere at the uh, at the security gate? So they're like those little turn soils, you know, you scan, your, you scan your ticket and then uh, there's a camera looking at you, similar to what you might have seen before in Australia for immigration purposes, for example. Right, uh, The camera scans your face and that's being used to give you access to the aircraft. Nice, nice. Well, you know, speaking
0: of artificial intelligence, uh, you know, and machine learning, we're actually seeing a lot of innovation in this space, especially around hardware like uh, GPUs. And according to uh, IDC in 2018, about uh, 75% of uh, uh, developer teams will be including cognitive and AI functions into one or more of their applications. So uh, that's going to be fascinating. So examples like the Changi facial scanning system uh, its going to become more pre- prevalent.
1: Yeah, and and Dr. Peter, it's interesting about the resurgence around artificial intelligence. Uh, It's actually a concept that's been around for many years now, but it's only really been in the last uh, five or so years where we've seen that uh, sort of a renaissance um, in artificial intelligence, specifically around machine learning and deep learning. Um, Ollie, I know you're a bit of an expert in this space. Can you maybe uh, tell our listeners the difference between uh, machine learning and, and deep learning and how it fits into artificial intelligence or AI?
2: Well, absolutely. You know, I think uh, these words are getting used a lot and sometimes it causes confusion. I always say, you know, it all fits under the umbrella of machine learning which is the overarching kind of concept then with certain new techniques such as deep learning uh, we achieve a lot of results uh, a lot faster in some of these unsupervised machine learning models that allow us to do things around language or speech recognition or facial recognitions which are obviously the the key foundations of what uh, an eventual full ai would look like so uh, it's really just uh, uh, similar words in a, in a similar space, but uh, I think it's really very much about the explosion of, um, you know, the, the compute capacity that we now have available uh, to use new uh, techniques such as deep learning and obviously cloud computing being at the, at the forefront for some of these models that are being trained.
0: Indeed. And uh, Dan, you have something to share with us uh, around some new awesome hardware, this, in this virtual tin, in this case, uh, that we've been actually uh, just releasing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, you mentioned, I think, before, uh, Dr. Pete, about uh, GPU um, and and hardware, which is really enabled the really the average user to to explore uh, areas of machine learning and, and deep learning, and and uh, like you mentioned, Oli, cloud computing has really been a strong enabler of that as well, putting that this this type of uh, high end hardware in the hands of that uh, everyday uh, user or everyday organization. And you know, we're we're always innovating in this space, uh, in improving our instance types. Our Amazon EC2 instance types and we actually just recently uh, released a new uh, instance type called the P3 instance and this is really targeted towards those use cases and workloads around machine learning and and deep learning. It's essentially the next generation of uh, EC2 GPU instances. Um, So to give you a bit of a a background of what a P3 instance uh, looks like, it's actually uh, powered uh, by up to eight of the latest generation NVIDIA uh, Tesla V100 GPUs and they're really ideal for computationally advanced workloads such as the machine learning, high performance computing, uh, data compression and, and also even cryptography. And they're also ideal for specific industry applications for scientific computing, simulations, financial analytics, image and video processing. So, you know, again, just uh, being able to easily place this high end hardware in the hands of, uh, of our uh, our customers. To go, to go even further and talk a little bit about the actual um, uh, technology itself, as you know, I'm, I'm an infrastructure guy. So this uh, really does excite me. Now, I mentioned the uh, the NVIDIA. Um, uh, Tesla V100 uh, GPUs, if we, if we have a look uh, further, it's basically using the latest uh, Volta architecture. And so what that basically means is that each of the D- uh, GPUs provides 125 uh, teraflops of mixed precision performance or 15.7 teraflops of single pre- precision performance and 7.8 teraflops of double pre- precision performance. So a lot of teraflops there um, and a lot of computational analytics that uh, our customers can, uh, can do.
0: And you also get some high throughput, um, you know, communication speeds uh, with lower latencies with uh, GPU to GPU comms. I think it's about somewhere around the 300 gigabytes per second. Is that right? It's huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Obviously, uh, you know, the latency or network communication, or sorry, I'm sorry, GPU to GPU communication is going to be very important. And so it has this configuration of that uh, 300 gigabytes per second type, uh, uh, type uh, throughput.
0: Nice. Well, you know the other cool thing around this is that uh, Apache MXNet also now supports, uh, you know, NVIDIA Volta GPUs and, and sparse tensors, which is actually very, very cool. So MXNet version 0.12 uh, is now available, and you can actually use it on a P three in this case. Um, and what's awesome about that is that. Um, The GPU architecture, which you mentioned before just then, introduces this whole idea of tensor cores. Uh, And these tensor cores are actually really good for uh, machine learning. Um, and the other interesting thing that's come out of their work on MXNet has been that uh, in order to train the actual models, uh, people used to train them in um, uh, 32-bit precision for high accuracy. Uh, but we actually found that you can do it with uh, half precision, so FP16 modes, uh, and still get the same accuracy. So that means you actually uh, can get more throughput and uh, you know, get faster to a, a functioning model. Um, by using MXNet with uh, a slightly different modified um, tensor core on those GPUs, which is absolutely awesome. Um, and Oli, you've been playing with AI quite a little bit uh, in the last uh, you know, a year or so. Um, so one of the things that comes up a lot is uh, machine learning and also convolutional neural networks or CNNs. Um, can you maybe sort of uh, sidebar a bit here and uh, tell our listeners uh, what this stuff's actually all about? Because uh, CNN and ConvNets, uh, it's all just you know, an alphabet soup.
2: Oh, absolutely! You know, and again, it goes back to the to the idea of uh, we're currently exploring a lot of different areas and on, on how we can achieve certain things. and And like you mentioned, you know, like for example, uh, facial recognition techniques or in general image classification techniques very often are based on some of those deep learning machine models, and specifically those conver- convolutional neural networks are very often called CNNs, which is just a, a strategy of using neural networks in a specific way. It's really a class of like deep feed forward artificial neural networks. And they're they're really successful uh, for analyzing visual images. And and actually, if you look at the, the research that goes behind it, it's very much based uh, based on how we humans actually see, so we, lo- we looked at the, the visual cortex and basically said, you know, could we apply some of those strategies and and create uh, create a deep learning machine learning model around it? And and that's where CNN came out of. Uh, so it's it's really you know variation of multi-layer drones, that, and and they're really designed to require uh, minimal pre-processing. Um, so it's really great for kind of visual uh, visual uh, things that uh, would that that, that uh, you can look at. Um, the other element is that I would say is um, that it's very often used is to actually classify images. So one of the the key problems is very often you, you show an image and you want to understand what's going on in that image. Um, and that is generally referred to as an image classification problem. And that's very much uh, mm-hmm. the case or of very often now being uh, done using such CNNs. And, you know, talking a little bit about image classification uh, if we, if we think about machine learning in general um, generally we look at training a model and the training is computationally intensive but then later on as we have a, a model trained we can start making predictions from it so we can infer certain predictions from it in this scenario we might have an image classification model uh, so when we send a picture to it we actually want to classify what picture that is uh, that is the inference of the model now the training and inference is done a little bit differently. So the inference of models is very often done on different kind of machines, on different kind of EC2 instances. And you know, I'm actually really pleased to also announce that we now launched the EC2 C5 instances, which is the next generation of compute optimized instances. And they sport our, uh, or they sport, sport the Intel's new processor called Skylake, which is three gigahertz, Uh, Intel Xeon processor. And it's really good to do some of these machine learning inference, for example. So C5 actually delivers... It's much faster, right? Absolutely. It's much faster. It's much faster for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, of course, the CPU itself is faster. But um, Intel actually delivered something that is called the Intel Math Kernel Library. And that Intel Math Kernel Library has been optimized to... Uh, be better at certain certain kind of inferences from machine learning models. So, you know, in a, a, a few tests that we did, uh, we actually found that if we take default image classification models such as AlexNet or Inception, which are some of like these these commonly used image classification models, uh, with that MathKernel library on top of C five, so we get a boost of up to a hundred times as many classifications per second that we can wow as, as we've added so you know these kind of new c5 instances really powerful for this compute heavy workloads you know think distributed analytics you know machine learning or deep learning inference uh, high performance computing or you know of course if you have like multiplayer games highly scalable makes a lot of sense uh, really if you look at it 25 percent improvement in terms of price performance compared to uh, the c4 instances and certain applications even all the way up to 50, 50% improvement. And nice thing is they're available as usual in different kind of formats and sizes. So the C5 instances are now available in six sizes. And we introduce an even newer, very large size, which is the C5 18X large, which now provides 72 vCPUs and 144 gigabit off memory comes with the next generation of the Elastic Network Adapter and the NVM Express technology. So we get a very high-throughput, low-latency interface for the networking and, of course, also the EBS, the Elastic Block Storage volumes. So C5 now offers up to 25 gigabits per second of network bandwidth per instance, and up to 9 gigabits per second on the Amazon EBS volume. So really cool new instances. What do you think, Pete? I'm I'm really impressed. So, Oli, if I want to launch one of these, where can I launch one today? Well, you can launch it right now in the US East, the Northern Virginia region, Oregon, in Ireland, and they are all available in on-demand and also Spot. And as usual, we obviously. Uh, work hard to keep rolling this out into different regions. And look, just to really geek out, so one of the other things
0: that uh, the C5 has also introduced along the way is a new hypervisor that powers the C5 instances. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about, um,
2: you know, the benefits of the new hypervisor and a bit of a story behind it? Yeah, so it really goes again down a little bit to some of the networking elements. So uh, the instances now uh, with that new hypervisor strategy do not require Uh, the Zen power virtual networking or block device drivers anymore. So they have been removed in order to increase that efficiency. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the underlying hypervisor of the C5 instances, they use the new EC2 hypervisor that is now based on the core uh, KVM uh, technology, as you mentioned, Dr. Pete. And uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of the benefits that we get from those hypervisors.
0: The Linux kernel based uh, virtual machine technology is actually um, does not include some of the typical things you'd find in the operating system. So we've actually pulled the guts out of the actual hypervisor um, and rely now more and more on hardware. So you may have heard um, that we have, uh, you know, NVMe interfaces, for example, um, to, to EBS in this case on the C5s. So we've actually had that on some other uh, other instances. And uh, over time, we've actually been pushing more and more into the actual hardware itself. And uh, uh shrinking the footprint of the hypervisor, which also means that uh, the hypervisor can really get out of the way of the mass Paralyzed, you know, IO throughput that comes in off the buses and into memory. So uh, by moving to this new model, we're actually accelerating and providing as much, you know, essentially bare metal functionality in hardware and the very smallest slither of hypervisor functionality uh, to actually run your instances. So, uh, you know, KVM is definitely uh, by far, you know, uh, one of the fastest ways of actually doing a lot of this stuff. So uh, certainly by moving to uh, KVM, uh, you'll actually find that we'll have KVM in future
2: releases um, of, uh, of instances as well very cool, very cool and uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm really keen on it given that uh, it really accelerates a lot of these you know deep learning inferences of of models that we've uh, that some of our customers are building so that's really cool and yeah, Pete, I mentioned about uh, image classification earlier mm-hmm. uh, using you know AI, ml inference model, uh, and you know how C5, for example, give us a really an uptick here, especially with uh, the Intel Mathcon library. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about some of these tools that we have available to make our life a little bit easier as an AI engineer? Certainly. And look, there's going to be a lot more
0: AI engineers out there. So uh, uh, all of you guys listening, I certainly want to add that to your job description. Uh, But first of all, you want to get your hands dirty. And the way you can go about doing that is by firing the um, AWS Deep Learning Amazon machine. A, a, Amy, um, and that'll give you the ability to actually very quickly with, with a single click uh, launch an instance that can give you access to um, frameworks like PyTorch, Keras, um, and many other you know frameworks for learning like TensorFlow, Cafe, and of course uh, MXNet. So with the um, uh, AWS Deep Learning Amy, uh, it now supports PyTorch. And uh, PyTorch is really for fast prototyping. So uh, in this Amy, we've got PyTorch uh, 0.2 uh, release, which allows developers to quickly create dynamic neural networks in uh, many people's programming languages of choice for doing AI, and that's Python. Um, and it's a really nice way uh, to very quickly build dynamic models for, for text analysis and time series. Um, and uh, we've also released a whole bunch of um, uh, advanced tutorials on how to actually get started so you can actually find these on github uh, and if that wasn't enough we've also got improved keras support um, and uh, keras essentially you know uh, is now at version 2.08 um, and what that means is that uh, your keras code can actually run against tensorflow as a backend, um, and it can also support uh, you know things like uh, theano and uh, cntk uh, from microsoft and this essentially lets you um, be able to build your models much quicker again, in Python uh, to be able to actually you know, experiment and train your networks you know, in very much a dynamic
2: way. And uh, I know, Oli, you've been playing with Keras 1 and 2. Um, what would you say is the major difference between those two? Yeah, So, so for some of our listeners who might not be familiar with Keras, it's actually – uh, an open source neural network library that's written in Python, but it, it, it's an abstraction on top of it. So it makes a lot of things a lot easier, very visual, uh, simple APIs to get certain things done. And it's actually capable to run on top of, you know, MXNet, Deep Learning 4J, TensorFlow, CNTK, uh theano and, and the idea behind keras is really to to enable fast experimentation with deep neural networks uh it focuses on you know being minimal modular and extensible and with the release of keras 2 um, it comes with a new api that's actually much much easier to use and it also brings consistency with with tensorflow so if you have played around with Keras run already um, you probably realized, hey, that's really easy to do certain things. Uh, with Keras 2, that will be even easier. So I recommend any one of our listeners, if you haven't launched a deep learning AMI before, uh, give it a spin, have a look at it, uh, look at some of the tutorials and and try out things like Keras 2 to uh, to really build some cool stuff. Sorry, Ollie, before you go
1: on, um, a lot of stuff on artificial intelligence uh, there, obviously a, a very... Uh excuse me, uh, in-demand area uh, with, our, with our customers. And and I think this is all a good example of that undifferentiated heavy lifting that uh, AWS does offer to our customers, whether it's introducing new instance types to optimize the performance for deep learning and creating those artificial neuro, neural networks. You mentioned about the deep learning AMI. So customers can really focus on uh, their, their models and training and, and really what they want to actually achieve with their business outcomes rather than focusing on implementing a lot of this uh, infrastructure so um, you know it's great to hear about all of these different uh, uh, different things that we are doing in this space
2: spot on Dean I, I couldn't agree more I mean and it's really never been a better time to go out and build stuff you know click of a button and, and you get things up and running um, I personally myself really very much learn learn by doing Right, uh, the autodidactic mm. way of uh, uh, experimental nature of try something out, it fails miserably, and you uh, you know, try to understand what you've done wrong because it worked in the tutorial. Um, but uh, mm. you know, giving giving our customers these capabilities of saying, you know, here a lot of the heavy lifting is done for you, and yeah, it's not to be underestimated. If if we look at the deep learning AMI, one could uh, cynically say, hey, it's just a machine. Uh, image with some of these things pre-installed but if you look at it uh, the way you got to install of it and con- configure it and make sure that it runs optily, optimally with some of the EC2 instances uh, that could take a little bit of time to do it properly um, and the deep learning AMI really allows me to get the latest and greatest stuff fully configured in, in the best, uh, best possible way for the EC2 instances.
0: Sorry, I got to jump in because uh, we got to fight for a microphone. This is going to be uh, an interesting experience on this show, the show—the three of us <laughs> all talking at once. I was just going to say this is really interesting for folks who are software development engineers, like I said before, because you can now become AI development engineers Uh, and you know all of these elements you know can start to add to to your you know uh, skills and portfolio and um, you know go out there and actually experiment there was a great example of you know uh, a guy who grows cucumbers uh, who used TensorFlow to actually you know classify them Um, and that was not necessarily somebody who was a super duper nerdy engineer it was just a regular person out who wanted to actually classify cucumbers whether they were (laughs) healthy or not so uh, the entry level may seem really really high but certainly going through and using the um, um, the actual tutorials uh, will get you up and running really, really quickly. So, with that, I was going to pivot here, guys, uh, to talk about software development things, in particular things around kinesis and uh, anomaly detection. Ollie, do you want to talk us tell, talk us talk us through that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So in in, in the scenario of what you mentioned, right, a lot of we make a lot of things easier. Uh, One of the things that we help greatly with is if you have lots of data that needs to be streamed in and analyzed in real time, we have Amazon Kinesis available for that and also the Amazon Kinesis Analytics that allows you to kind of query that data in real time and get insights of it. And we now launched anomaly scores and anomaly detection on the streaming data in real time which is really really great because now we can you know it uh, with, with this new functionality it provides you explanations of the anomalies that you see on your data stream it makes it very easy for you to also perform a root cause analysis and then you can learn which fields in your data lead to some of those high anomaly scores and identify trends associated with the anomaly which could either way be hey something is going wrong or maybe that anomaly is a new trend that i need to look at Um, So, Kinesis Analytics, under the hood, uses random cut forest algorithm to analyze one or more of those numerical fields, generate scores, and then identifies anomalies in that data stream. We record that, and uh, you can then identify if something goes wrong. So, Kinesis Analytics now provides that real-time, those real-time explanations of the anomaly scores. If you use Kinesis and Kinesis Analytics to stream your data in, have a look at it and see how it could be helpful for you. Nice. So, Dean, how about you? Uh,
0: how are you a big fan of API gateway? When was the last time you did something in the uh, restful space?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually a big f- fan of APIs in general. And uh, fortunately, uh, uh, you know, AWS makes it very easy for uh, our customers to uh, develop um, their applications, uh, leveraging, uh, you know, an API s- uh, managed service, which is the Amazon API Gateway. Uh, it makes it easy for those developers to create, publish, maintain, monitor and secure their APIs that, uh, at any scale. So I've always been watching this space in terms of what we're doing around the Amazon API Gateway uh, service and and you know very pleased to uh, talk about um, one of the new feature releases with that service where customers now have an option of where to place those uh, A- API endpoints that they actually uh, create uh, to uh, to provide those rest APIs.
0: So, Dave, what does that actually mean in terms of, you know, where to put your APIs? Because, uh, you know, we've got, um, we've had API Gateway for a while now, and when you create your API, we spin up a, uh, a CloudFront distribution in front of it uh, to, you know, um, give you access to those APIs much quicker. And we call it edge-optimized APIs. But uh, with this new announcement, uh, we've actually changed it a little bit.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, what would happen, as you mentioned, uh, Dr. Pete, is when uh, the customers used to uh, publish a uh, API um, uh, uh, a, a, sorry, an API endpoint uh, through the API gateway, it would actually push out that um, uh, configuration to our CloudFront uh, um, edge locations. Um, one of the issues would be mm-hmm. is if you're running some type of application that was leveraging that API, API gateway the, in a particular region, uh, what would actually happen is the uh, application would have to reach out to a uh, a CloudFront pop to actually access the API. Uh, and for certain workloads, that's uh, introduced a, a bit more latency. So what's actually happened is we've introduced a new type of uh, API endpoint you can configure, uh, which is a regional uh, API uh, endpoint. It's essentially um, where uh, you can uh, access uh, the API endpoint from the same AWS region in which your REST APIs are actually deployed. And so this will help you reduce Mm -hmm. uh, request latency when API requests originate from the same region as your uh, uh, REST API.
0: Awesome. So basically that means we're putting things up.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, you know, customers do now have a choice of deploying that uh, uh, regional API endpoint or the edge optimized API endpoint, uh, which was uh, the default uh, previously prior to this uh, new feature release.
0: Yeah, it's actually pretty cool because I uh, I hopped on the console and uh, fiddled with the setting. And it's as simple as uh, chaining the dropdown to go from the edge optimized endpoint to basically um, the regional API endpoint, which is very, very cool. It was you know very, very quick. So I liked it. And the other cool thing is you can also associate your own Cloud distribution. Distributions to it, and uh, obviously you own custom, you know, uh, C names for that as well to represent your uh, uh, your particular API. Very, very cool, Dean.
1: Exactly, and and one of the great things with it is that uh, by introducing your own Amazon CloudFront distribution, you can start taking advantage of some of the uh, CloudFront features like uh, um, uh, at-the-edge type computing and, and manipulating uh, requests that are coming into that uh, CloudFront distribution before it's actually accessing your regional API endpoint in the API gateway.
0: Mm. And look, most of those APIs often end up fronting a database of some sort. And we've got another awesome announcement around uh, some, um, you know, additional insights with uh, Postgres. You want to tell us about that, Dean? Yeah,
1: so, uh, you know, Amazon Aurora, uh, I think you might be referring to, um, you know, is, uh, Mm -hmm. as as a recap, uh, it's a fully managed relational database, uh, combines the performance and availability of commercial databases with the simplicity and cost effectiveness effectiveness of open source uh, databases. Uh, it's actually one of our services that's uh, been one of our fastest growing as well. So there's been widespread adoption of this uh, this uh, managed database. Um, in April 2017, we actually announced an open preview of the Postgres SQL compatible edition of Amazon Aurora. So prior to this, it was uh, a MySQL uh, compatible. Um, so now we've included a second option or another option to our customers who have a specific preference for uh, a particular database engine. So uh, by having this uh, uh, Postgres SQL compatibility, um, Amazon Aurora actually provides up to three times better performance than the typical Postgres SQL database, together with scalability, durability, and security that actually comes with the service. Service. It also provides a high degree of compatibility with commercial databases, so it does make it very easy for customers to undertake a um, data migration, leveraging Amazon Aurora as the target database.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool. So better performance. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And choice. That's a choice as well.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Well, the other thing that's also cool in this space is that uh, we've also announced something called, um, you know, a preview of uh, of performance insights, Dean, and that's actually another part of uh, the same database. Now, developers often have this uh, scenario, and also administrators, in fact, that uh, they lack visibility into the SQL query performance, uh, which often means that, you know, you have to really, uh, you know, if you want to tune performance of your database. It can be a little bit tricky by trying to better analyze, you know, where the bottlenecks are. So, in terms of um, you know making life easier and again, taking care of that heavy lifting that's undifferentiated. Um, the Amazon Aurora with Postgres compatibility now supports an ability for us to give you deep dives into the performance bottlenecks. So the uh, the performance insights actually give you the ability to actually visualize the kind of queries that have been run against your database and see where the bottlenecks actually lie, whether it's an IO bound uh, bottleneck on a particular query or whether it's uh, it's a memory pegged thing. Um, and uh, the nice thing about that is that uh, in the preview that's currently out, there Uh, we retain one one day worth of of data at no charge so you can actually get insights into better understand uh, you know where the bottlenecks in your actual databases uh, lie and it's a very simple visual way of uh, people who are not necessarily uh, you know uh, deep dive you know DBA specialists uh, they can quickly decipher where the performance bottlenecks are which is I think very very cool
1: yeah, that's that's pretty, pretty good. I mean, like you mentioned, the, the, the advantage here is you don't have to be a, a deep expert in in databases and familiar with these database engines. It's a very easy way to identify these uh, type of bottlenecks in your database and then coupled with some of our other services, um, which also allow uh, further insights into potential Bottlenecks in your entire application workflow. Uh, it really is a, a, a very straightforward or, or, or more simplistic way of uh, trying to eliminate uh, uh, bottlenecks in your overall application, which actually might not be related to infrastructure at all. It might be an application specific uh, problem or bottleneck.
2: Just chiming in here. Yeah. I think it's so important to be able, as a developer, to see that, right? Like, how often uh, did we have the situation where we wrote a SQL query some somewhere in our code, and it took us quite a while to figure out that it was that one query that was really poorly written uh, that kept you know, turning our database upside down? I mean, you had some slow query logs and what have you that helped a little bit with it. Um, But, you know, I don't know if you had a look at it, but these performance insights, nice console, you click things together and you suddenly see the different queries that actually go wrong and how long they took and and you can really dive into it as, as a developer. And, you know, talking a little bit about queries in SQL. Um, Dean and Pete. One thing that I always say, which is pretty awesome in AWS is uh, serverless, right? The concept of basically you know, running your pieces of code uh, completely without thinking about service. That's pretty cool. Um, and we do have, as you both know, the Amazon Athena service, which is our interactive query service that makes it really easy uh, to analyze data that actually sits in Amazon S3. Uh, with SQL queries, you know, without running any, you know, uh, clusters or servers or what have you. You just put in this SQL query and you get the results based on flat file data that might sit on Amazon S3 bucket. And uh, the really cool thing that we now announced, uh, you know, two years ago I gave a talk at um, how to build a geospatial serverless mobile application in a variety of our summits across APAC, um, and if I were to redo that talk, I would probably change it around because we now launched um, the ability to query geospatial data using Amazon Athena. So that's really cool. So you can have basically uh, data uh, points sitting in an Amazon S3 bucket, can be complete flat file data, and now you can use Amazon Athena to uh, run SQL queries over that geospatial data. So uh, the way it works is Amazon Athena uh, has those geospatial functions. Your data must be uh, in a what is uh, generally called well-known text wkt or a well-known binary format it's wkb uh, and if it's in that format then you can actually uh, use those specialized data times so generally a, a well-known text is you know a text that defines like a point or a line or a polygon or a multi-line or multi-polygon uh, and now with those functions you can cal- calculate relationships such as distance, uh, crosses, are we overlapping, are those data points uh, touching each other, uh uh uh, in terms of are we we having an overlap of the the area that we're in etc or even find disjoints uh, between those geometries and um if you've never worked with well-known texts or wtk it sounds a little bit scary but that's actually pretty pretty simple so it's really just like point or polygon or line string with a tuple behind it which is you know bracket with the xy uh, coordinates in that in that scenario so really really easy to actually now start working with geospatial data Completely serverless.
0: That's really cool because you know when you think about the history of databases and how well they used to process geospatial data, you know if you wind the clock back a bit, they didn't handle it at all, right? You had to write, mm. you know, user-defined functions to do all this sort of stuff, and uh, you know over the last decade or so, things have come come into their own with databases actually doing, you know, um, you know, poly analysis and you know. Being able to process geospatial information is a, is a normal, you know, first class function inside the database engine. So having Athena do that now is also very, very cool. And speaking of geo, uh, coding and geospatial information, quite often a lot of people use that information to uh, defend themselves against DDoS attacks or denial of service attacks because they might come from a certain geo around the surface of the planet. So, so Dida, what can you share on DDoS uh, trends and protection uh, from the different parts of the world?
1: Yeah, uh, interesting uh, segue. <laughs> how you how you couple that together there? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, yeah. So you know, obviously, uh, security for us is 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 job zero. It's really our top priority um, at AWS, and we want to make sure that our customers also have uh, available to them um, certain uh, security and risk mitigation uh, technology uh, to to uh, minimise the risk of uh, of, of uh, attack. And you mentioned things like uh, uh DDoS mm-hmm. or distributed denial of service. And so we've actually um, uh, announced several uh, services and features uh, in this space in terms of mitigating or um, uh, reducing uh, uh, susceptibility to, to distributed denial of service attacks um, over the last uh, you know, several years for things, with things like our um, uh, 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 the, the AWS Shield um, uh, service, which we'll talk about in a moment, things around CloudFront um, um, with Elastic Load Balancing, with our WAF uh, service as well. Before I get into it, though, it'd probably be good just to explain, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the three types of common attacks that uh, 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 folks will exp- could experience through a, a distributed denial of service. You know, we first have those uh, what we call uh, volumetric attacks. And volumetric and net- attacks are really those ones that disrupt networks by flooding them with more traffic than that they can handle um, or by issuing fake queries that will flood an unsuspecting victim with a surprising amount of low-level surprise r- replies like reflection attacks. We then have uh, state exhaustion attacks or or protocol attacks, and these abuse stateful protocols and cause stress on firewalls and load balancers by consuming large numbers of per-connection resources. And then finally, we have application layer attacks, and these are really well-formed but malicious requests like HTTP GETs or DNS queries that are designed to consume application uh, resources. And so it's important to understand these type of attacks before you uh, go about actually mitigating or re- reducing the risk um, of, uh, of, of these of, of these attacks. And so we actually introduced the AWS Shield service um, a while ago that will actually uh, automatically minimize uh, some of these types of attacks. So we have the AWS Shield standard um, uh, available, and and it's actually available to all customers. Uh, It is available across several of our services automatically by default, so Elastic Load Balancing, Amazon CloudFront, and Amazon Route 53 to be specific. Uh, And Mm -hmm. the great thing is our customers don't have to do anything. Shield standard service. It is a free service and it is included in all of those uh, AWS services that I j- just mentioned and it does really protect you for uh, from about 96% of most of the common attacks today, especially at the volumetric attack or the state exhaustion, exhaustion attack level. But of course, we still have to account for that 4% as well. And that's why we introduced uh, the AWS Shield advanced uh, service, um, which provides additional uh, levels of, of security, and provides additional DDoS mitigation capabilities, for application level type attacks as well as another feature, other features. And what we've actually announced recently, is a global threat environment dashboard um, with the AWS Mm -hmm. Shield Advanced Subscription. So basically what this provides is um, to the the customer is a view of DDoS attack trends across uh, AWS. Um, So essentially a visualization, we spoke about visualization before, um, it's a visualization of what actually is occurring in the uh, the global threat environment, including the largest attack, top vectors, and the relative number of significant attacks Um, The summary is automatically updated in near real-time and when significant attacks actually happen. And so customers can view different time durations to see a history of various uh, DDoS attacks. And it also provides a current threat level, which is an indicator of the severity of DDoS threats currently occurring on uh, the services I mentioned before, Amazon CloudFront, Elastic Load Balancing and Amazon uh, Route 53. Okay, and so uh, uh, Dr. Pete, as as you can see, customers now have the uh, the option of subscribing to the AWS Shield Advanced service if they want to manage uh, DDoS. If they want to manage DDoS protection service above the typical type of DDoS attacks that are experienced, that the AWS Shield Standard uh, service can actually help uh, help mitigate. Uh, the Advanced uh, AWS Shield Advanced customers also get AWS WAF uh, one of the other services I mentioned before, um, at no additional charge, as well as twenty-four by seven access to an AWS DDoS response team and DDoS cost protection as well,
0: which is very very cool. And you know, we talk a lot about you know the internet background radiation, which is uh, a lot of this you know noise and you know uh, you know attacks at the various different levels whether it's at the protocol level app level or just at the wire level um and you know i know networks are uh, you know are very close to your heart dean and uh for any any of you who've uh, seen dean talk about his ninja tips uh you, you can't go past dean's networking tips and this one i think is very close to your heart dean that's around aws direct connect and uh global access dean what what can you tell us this is this is so cool
1: yeah absolutely this is definitely uh the most exciting announcement for me uh over the last uh, month or two from from aws we're obviously always bringing out uh, new features and services that uh, are quite cool but you know for me this uh, aws direct connect enabling global access uh, uh, feature is uh, you know i, I believe awesome and the customers I I've worked with um, I know will really value um, and see benefit from this um, from this uh, service so maybe to take a step back and, and just uh, talk a little bit about the AWS direct connect service so for those of you who don't know it, it really provides a private high bandwidth connectivity between a customer network so for example their uh, data centers or maybe a, an office or a branch office and then an AWS region uh, so basically allowing that dedicated Added connectivity from uh, on-premise to the cloud. Uh, the traffic sent over AWS Direct Connect stays within the AWS private network instead of actually traversing over the uh, public internet. And so what would happen previously is customers would set up uh, what's called a, um, a virtual interface Um, That will uh, basically be a connection either from their on-premise to their VPC or set of VPCs in AWS or to uh, a region's public public endpoints. Up until this feature release, uh, customers would not be able to connect to multiple um, uh, uh, virtual private clouds that are across different AWS regions using the one direct connect um, uh, link. And so what we've actually provided uh, with this new feature release is global access for virtual private cloud. And so what actually happens with that global access to virtual private cloud is that uh, it allows customers using any AWS direct location, so that's uh, globally, um, to use their uh, Direct Connect connection to access any of their virtual private clouds deployed in any AWS region, um, although at at this time, uh, the AWS China region is the exception. That's pretty cool. Um, in addition, each uh, direct. It. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I think it's you know being able to use that uh, single direct connect uh, um, uh, uh, pop that you are connected to, but now having access to all of your VPCs regardless of the region just does make it uh, a lot easier when it comes to network management uh, and and configuration. Um, you know, providing a lot more uh, uh, flexibility and um, and uh, access to to our multiple regions for our for our customers. And as you know, we always encourage our customers 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 to look at a multi VPC uh, deployment approach for various reasons, whether it's minimizing blast radius, whether it's um, avoiding some of uh, the the limits that might be imposed in the VPCs. uh, It it just makes it a a much easier for customers to configure their multi VPC um, environment. Um, And and so in addition to that, uh, we've also provided um, global access for AWS public Uh, services as well. So you can imagine that uh, uh, most of your EC2 and um, uh, 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 EC2-based services uh, that are deployed into your virtual private cloud, um, you also have those public services, whether it's uh, S3 or DynamoDB, um, SQS, SNS, and so on. And so with this uh, new feature in, in Direct Connect, with the global access for AWS public services, it's the same concept um, as uh, the the global access for VPCs in that uh, customers can use their single direct connect connection to access any of the public endpoints uh, in any of the AWS regions, again with the exception of the AWS China region. So this essentially means that customers can connect to their local DX pop. uh, And we have many DX pops uh, around the globe, but then access some of those public endpoints at another region, which might actually reside um, uh, outside of the country that the uh, customer operates in. And the beauty of it all is that both of these features, the global access for virtual private cloud and AWS public services, leverages the AWS global backbone uh, network. So it's essentially not traversing uh, traversing the internet.
0: Very cool Dean and for those of you who may have caught uh, uh, last year's reinvent session by James Hamilton he actually uh, you know uh, publicly talked about that backbone the global net uh, backbone of networks that we've actually been building uh, all around the planet. Uh, to reduce latency and also you know increase access to you know uh, cross region communications which is uh very impressive so if you get a chance go and check it on YouTube um, so Dean I think we should have a party over this one because uh, you and I both uh, know how many customers will actually uh, definitely make use of the you know the global access for direct connect um, and uh, you know speaking of uh, reinvent Ollie um I know we touched on this briefly with uh, Dean in the last episode but there's some pretty cool stuff happening around reinvent and AI and given there's been a lot of AI discussion in this episode. Uh, You know, I can't let you get away without ending the show with, uh, with more
2: of an AI theme absolutely so I'm, I'm i'm very psyched for uh, for reinvent uh, as every year it's going to be a fantastic great events with lots of learning uh, really looking forward to seeing all our customers talking about all the great stuff that they've been doing on the platform and, and as part of it we always have a, a variety of different themes around uh, uh, obviously some of these uh, thousands of sessions that are available for you to select from and uh, this year and by the way if you if you go to reinvent it's in november 27 a full week uh, uh, conference. We will have a deep learning summit inside Reinvent, and uh, the deep learning summit is really designed, you know, for developers that are interested in learning more about some of these latest uh, deep learning. Uh, applied research and emerging trends uh, to kind of hear from some of these industry thought leaders, uh, some of them academics, some of them from venture capital communities, uh, who will share some of their perspective on those deep learning trends. Um, and that summit will actually be held specifically on Thursday, uh, the week of reInvent on November 30th. And there will be lots of sessions around, you know, journal deep learning, deep learning on AWS, uh, computer vision, uh, you know, language understanding, speech Recognition, How do we do all of that? Uh, how is it done best uh, We, you know, with, with real-life scenarios and actual customers talking about uh, what they've been building on AWS? And lastly, I want to highlight the Robocar Rally. That's absolutely right. Like, how cool is that, right? So one of the biggest highlights for me is the Robocar Rally 2017 at reInvent. And um, what is that all about? Well, it's pretty much to build an autonomous vehicle, on AWS and race it against your competitor at the reinvent RoboCar Rally, right? (laughs) So so the idea is, is, you know, um, obviously autonomous vehicles are really poised to take our roads in massive numbers. We see it happening already and we want to kind of uh, give people an alley to kind of uh, further explore how they can do that with AWS. And so um, we're going to have a brief tutorial that shows you how to build, you know, an, an RC, a remote control vehicle that's using Amazon AI services to then autonomously Uh, kind of navigate around it. Um, It will provide some, you know, sensors on it so you can get some rich telemetry out of it uh, and then see how you can actually build your own little RC uh, kind of remote controlled small little vehicle and race it against other people uh, at ReInvent and see who's building the better model. Right. How cool is that? That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, quite interesting how things do change. I remember when I was growing up, the fun with remote control vehicles was actually controlling it yourself. Uh, but now moving to the autonomous side, I guess the fun is actually in uh, developing and creating an, an environment using things like deep learning and artificial intelligence to do the controlling um, via the the, the the application rather than by the human. Um, so interesting how things do change over time.
0: Yeah, I reckon if you fast forward for another year or so, you know, how for Christmas you get your kids, uh, you know, all your nephews, uh, those remote control cars, people probably getting you know the AI versions of those, right? You know, little bots inside the little sports car that's going to chase the cat around the gear you know, the Christmas table, or uh, or the dog, you know, when you're playing fetch. But guys, listen, it's been awesome to have you on the show. We've uh, we as always, we're always uh, running out of time, and uh, having the three of us certainly has been fun. Uh, not to mention challenging from a technical perspective. We've had a whole raft of uh, challenges to get ourselves together in the one virtual recording room. So, guys, thanks for joining. And uh, I hope you had fun, yeah? Thank you, Dr. Pete, and thanks to all our listeners. Indeed. Thanks for having us, Dr. Pete. All right, guys, we'll catch you all next episode. And thanks for tuning in. Signing off, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com